Well, on this lovely morning, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we'll read a few verses there. But, you know, I was just realizing that we are in what the churches call the season of Lent. And I was reading a few things, and I just want to say something. I'm not going to go in about the, the, the background to Lent, but as far as I'm concerned, it has a pagan background. But... There are a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. The whole basis of Lent is that people fast and give up things. Coming from the south of Ireland where there are a lot of Catholics and uh, we were asked when we were kids when we were playing around what are you giving up for Lent and the object obviously is that you give something up in order to gain uh, acceptance by God this uh, little article here it says it's not by going to church it's not by your prayers it's not by your penance it's not by your participation in the sacraments or so-called sacraments. It is only because of what Christ did. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the gift of God. And if you try to pay one penny for a gift, you are rejecting the gift and insulting the giver. And is that what struck me when I read this article you're insulting the giver if you're seeking to in any way pay for a gift you're insulting the man or the person who is giving you the gift and it's very hard to get that across to people so many people think that it is still by their good works how they live their lives never done anything wrong to anybody that type of thing and it's also because men don't want to deny themselves they still think that there is something good within them in order to gain this gift of eternal life they want to get some credit in some way charged up to their account by God too proud to admit that they are only worthy of eternal hell and judgment They're too proud to admit that we cannot do anything to save ourselves that Jesus Christ has done it all Christ has paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a guilty stain he washed it white as snow it is by grace through faith that we become the children of God thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift the gift of God is eternal life the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and it's just the fact that uh, we are listening to the church service this morning on so many days, the second Sunday or the third Sunday in Lent. And it's all based on a falsehood. 
So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and that has some relevance, as we'll see in a moment. 28 and verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle the increase of thy kine and the flocks of thy sheep blessed shall be thy basket and thy store another reading for that is blessed be thy basket and thy dole or thy kneading trough Verse 6, Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Just leave it there for the moment. Going back to chapter 26, we saw the curses proclaimed from Mount Ebal, but we saw no blessings proclaimed from Mount Gerizim. And there's a reason for that. The blessings which are here in chapter 28 are not to be confused with those which were not proclaimed on, in chapter 27. And there's a reason. People say, why were there no blessings proclaimed in Deuteronomy 27? And the reason is, if you look at Galatians 3.10, It's because under the law, people were cursed. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All who seek to live as under the law who seek to live by the principle of salvation by works of any sort, end up as cursed before a righteous God. And that's, that's going back to this Lent thing. If in any way, by fasting, by giving up something, you think that you can gain recognition and credit in God on your account before a righteous God, you're cursed. You're cursed. Romans 8.13 could not be plainer. For if you are living according to the flesh, according to the way you consider as by law, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that is why in type, in chapter 27, 
we have an altar of stones untouched by human hand pointing forward to the perfect sacrifice of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ who became obedient unto the death on a cursed cross so that men may be redeemed from the curse so the righteous uh, blessings which should have been in one would have thought in chapter 27 man couldn't keep them because he was cursed under the law Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is every man everyone that hangeth on the tree the curses in chapter 27 were personal and moral in nature now in chapter 28 the position is different they are speaking here with the position of Israel nationally and even dispensationally and so we've we've read them these particular blessings at the start of this chapter we have God's plan and purpose for Israel as a nation understand it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will and goes on to state the various blessings sadly Israel failed miserably and these great ideals from God have not yet taken place but the covenant blessing of God will be performed and fulfilled they will not be spiritualized as some do and be fulfilled by the church and I was thinking about this and I, 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 Macintosh in one of his books says and this, this is just a quotation from one of his books and some of his thoughts he says it's a fatal mistake to spiritualize the blessings and say that they are being fulfilled in the church indeed it is hardly possible to set forth in language or even to conceive the pernicious effects of such a method of handling the precious word of God nothing is more certain than that it is diametrically opposed to the mind and will of God he will not and cannot sanction such tampering with his truth or such an unwarrantable alienation of the blessings and privileges of his people Israel goes on God has pledged himself by an oath to bless the seed of Abraham his friend to bless them with all earthly blessings this promise holds good and is absolutely inalienable woe be to all who attempt in the land of Canaan to interfere with its literal fulfillment in God's own time we have uh, referred he says in one of his earlier studies 
I must now rest content with warning the reader most solemnly against every system of interpretation which involves such serious consequences as to the word and ways of God. We must remember, ever remember, that Israel's blessings are earthly. The church's blessings are heavenly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Thus, he says, both the nature and sphere of the church's blessings are wholly different from those of Israel and must never be confounded. But the system of interpretation above referred to does confound them to a marring of the integrity of Holy Scripture and the serious damage of souls. To attempt to apply the promises made to Israel to the Church of God either now or hereafter on earth or in heaven is to turn things completely upside down and to produce the most hopeless confusion in the exposition and application of scripture. We feel called upon in simple fulfillment to the word of God and to the soul of the reader to press this matter upon his earnest attention. He may rest assured it is by no means an unimportant question. So far from this we are persuaded that it is utterly impossible for anyone who confounds Israel and the church, the earthly and the heavenly, to be a sound or accurate interpreter of the word of God. That's fairly plain speaking, but it is, he regards, utterly important. And so the Lord will fulfill his covenant blessing to Israel at a time yet future. And so in verse 1 we have the children of Israel we see that they were to be fully blessed by God. Moses declared all they had to do was to hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And secondly to observe and to do all his commandments. If, a big if, and the promise, look what it says, the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And secondly, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Hearken and observe them, if thou wilt. I love the expression there where it says, the blessing shall overtake thee. I used to do a bit of running years ago, believe it or not, but how often I was overtaken. Watching the Olympics, you see these chaps being overtaken. And quite often, it happened unexpectedly. 
you think you have the race all tied up and suddenly you're overtaken. But this was going to be blessings which were going to overtake the children of Israel. Carrying on, obeying God, and suddenly these blessings would overtake them. What a wonderful thing to be overtaken by the blessings of God. Sadly, they are away from God. But in Amos 9, here's a wonderful thing about what's going to happen to Israel. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. What a wonderful time in future for Israel. But let us now look at these blessings and see if we can learn something from them as we go about our Christian path and life here on earth. Verse 3. Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Now we don't have, as it says in Hebrews 13 verse 14, for here we have no abiding, no continuing city. But we seek one to come. We have an inheritance in heaven prepared for us. But on this earth we have no continuing city. We're only uh, passing through. The hymn says here in the body pent. We're pent up in this body. We're trying to get out of this body and someday we shall be relieved from all that's around us. We're pent up but here it says, here in the body pent, absent from him I roam, yet nightly pitch my moving tent, a day's march nearer home. Pick up your tent and move another march nearer home. You know, all we should have down here is a bell tent. But people around us Christians try to make it into a mobile home or even something more permanent. They forget. As Christians we have no earthly city because we are here as ambassadors on earth for our great God and Saviour. We are part of something far more precious than an earthly city. We have something eternal in the heavens to look forward to. Second Corinthians 5 verse 1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to be part of that great eternal city in heaven. Here's how Paul described our life here and our future in heaven. Ephesians 2.19 Now, therefore, we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. 
fellow citizens with the saints. Those born-again believers in the true church were fellow citizens with them, not of an earthly city, but of a heavenly city. It goes on. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're being built into a building. We're living stones in this building. Jesus Christ is the head. And in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. This building which is being prepared is now displayed here as the habitation of God. A holy temple of the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. It's not wonderful. We're all being built together as fellow citizens in a building prepared by God to become a temple. And to you and me this morning God says blessed shalt thou be in the city. Not in an earthly city but we have blessings in heaven. But it goes on to say in verse 3, Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Now a farmer, a sower and a reaper, for him the field is where the labouring is done. Although we have no abiding city here on earth, we are called to be labourers in the field. And in some of our parable, of the parables, our Lord says, the field is the world. God places us in the world to be witnesses for him amongst the tares, amongst all the evil in this world, amongst all the things that have been planted by Satan in this world. And we have been placed in the field to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Our instructions are, as those to the labourers in Matthew 21, verse 28, Jesus said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Go and work, he said in the parable. Go work today in my vineyard. And we have been told to go and work in the field. Our Lord said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus had an urgency. I must work while it is day because the night will come when no man can work. It's important that we too have that urgency that our master had. Have we? Paul writing in Romans 16 and verse 12. He says an interesting little aside at the end of the epistle. 
Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa. You've probably never even noticed them or who they were. But what does he say about them? Who labour in the Lord. Oh, these two people. They were important. They were God's labourers. Then he goes on to salute the beloved Persis. Who on earth was he? He was somebody who laboured much in the Lord. Do we labour much in the Lord? In 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 he says to Timothy let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. Those who are particular about the doctrine and about the word of God. We mentioned a few weeks ago that Paul and the Apostles had a great love for those who had become Christians. Always hoping and praying for them that they would continue to grow. As Paul and the Apostles laboured amongst them. How sad that he had to say about the Galatians. The Galatians who had been sidetracked. Who had started going back to the law. To try and tie things in with the Old Testament. When Jesus had in the parable said that if you did that. You were, it was like as if you tied a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. The whole thing was going to rip apart. And we can see that happening today in churches that seek to carry on the Old Testament doctrines amongst the teachings of the New Testament. And Paul had to say, I am afraid of you. He was afraid. Why? Lest I bestowed upon you labour in vain. That was a terribly sad thing. Have I been working there in vain? I'm afraid I have. Oh, may it never be said of any of us, me or anyone, that I have come under the teaching of some beloved saint of God. That they should ever be afraid that their labour was bestowed upon me in vain. And quite a thought that for Paul to have had that thought about the privileged Galatians who had teaching from him and they had gone astray who hath beguiled you he says elsewhere but you know there's something important we must always remember uh, look at 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 Paul speaking and we must remember this as well I have planted Apollos watered but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. If we labour in any way for the Lord, 
It is He who works within us. It is He who will bring about any increase. Jesus said the night is coming. The night is coming. And we must have an urgency. We see the night approaching. We see the sun of opportunity to preach the gospel is beginning to set. The day will come in our own country as well as in many, many foreign countries where the night of opportunity will soon end. Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies while their bright tints are glowing work for daylight flies work till the last beam fadeth fadeth to shine no more work while the night is darkening when man's work is o'er let's go on to verse 4 this is a, a, a lovely thought in this verse Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kine, and the flocks of thy sheep. What a, a wonderful promise this was. They were to be fruitful in so many ways. We said, and we mentioned this again today, but a few weeks ago we talked about it. Paul's desire for his children in the Lord. And this is what God wants for all his children as well. That they will be blessed. Colossians 1. I'm going to read just a few verses. In Colossians 1 starting at verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Listen, being fruitful, like that verse says, being fruitful, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That ye might be strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. A farmer working has to have patience, and he has to be long-suffering. But let us have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance that we have in the heavenlies. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. He reminds them of their position in Christ. 
and encourages them to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all wisdom and understanding, to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. <clears throat> but remember, a lot of these blessings, oh, you see people being persecuted for their faith. Where is all this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And then go to, to verse 5. Blessed be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy kneading trough or thy dough. We need, as Christians, to have a supply of food gained from the grain of the Word of God. We need to saturate our minds and, and our hearts with God's Word. To need flour means to, to work on it with our hands so that the bread will be solid with no air holes in it only pure bread quite often I think perhaps that my witness has some gaps some air holes in it which have not been eliminated by kneading and also by kneeling before God you know each one need to have a fuller appreciation of the word of God and how, how it is all built up it's not a whole lot of isolated things. When you need flour, you, you bind everything together. Each verse, each chapter, each book, all ties up to everything in that testament. And the whole is a glorious part of, uh, of the whole word of God. You need to be able to appreciate God's word in its entirety. Not rely on just isolated verses picked out at random from here and there there's a continuity and a fullness and a completeness of the word of God we can't leave bits out and put bits in just as we think and you know when Paul was writing to Timothy it gives this same idea in 2 Timothy 1 13 and here's what I think Darby's translation says, Have an outline of sound words. Which words thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus? Keep by the Holy Spirit, which dwells in us, the good deposit entrusted. Have an outline of sound words. And Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Have an outline of sound words so that when somebody asks you what you believe, you have a knowledge of Scripture. And not just random verses picked from here and there. 
but that you realize the doctrines. Paul said that those apostles, who were those people who were working with him, those who labored in doctrine and the word. Do we labor in doctrine and the word? It's important. And then finally, in verse 6, it says, Blessed be thou when thou comest in, and blessed be thou when thou goest out. You know, Psalm 121 sums this up, I think. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither, neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore and we say blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ <laughs>